Can I help you enjoy that, Snickers? Happy peanut soul over chocolate-covered mountaintops and waterfalls of caramel. Prancing nougat in the meadow sings a song of satisfaction to the world. The world. That's right. Hello, Thunder Buddies and Travellers Down Thunder Road. Welcome to another episode of Days of Snickers. I'm your host, Dave Snickers, and I'm joined by my co-host, Snickers Malone. How are you, my friend? I'm great. I'm just after finishing the Snickers, actually. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> what a... What a... <laughs> it's, ridiculous. it's starting as we mean to go on, oh, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, Days of Thunder is back, and we're doing our first um, pay-per-view uh, in in our run here. Uh, 1998's Snickers Sold Out, sponsored by Snickers. Um, and yeah, it's become a, a bit of a, a thing for us over the last month that it's like, <laughs> it's real almost offensive branding on this pay-per-view. <laughs> like, it's real in-your-face shit for Snickers, isn't it? <laughs> it's very over the top shall we say it's uh yeah you're kind of hungry by the end of the show (laughs) a little bit a little (laughs) bit um let's kind of before we dive into the pay-per-view itself uh let's talk a little about the the road that got us to sold out and after three weeks of watching thunder with no context uh, where were your hype levels sitting down to sold out 98 and did you have any memories from either the things we talked in the first episode about how you didn't watch a lot of wcw at this exact time but you know some stuff you've read some stuff we've all seen clips here and there so uh, where were your hype levels at and what did you did you know anything was happening for sure in this show before you sat down to it this time yeah there was a couple of things i knew for sure happened like um the mysterio jericho match i i know i knew what the result was going in i knew about a moment in the uh, Nash Giant match as well, mm-hmm. but yeah, other than that, like the, the the rest of the matches on the show, I wasn't overly familiar with. Yeah, but again, I kind of knew the direction things were going, the hype levels. I'm just gonna say nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wasn't hyped. I wasn't looking forward to it. It was just, mm. it's another show on the, as you said, the Thunder Road. Yeah. That's for sure. Uh, like, I think, obviously, we're going to miss the full picture of the hype train by only watching Thunder. But at the same time, we've talked for three weeks about how, like, there's a lot of video packages. I don't feel yet that we have uh, missed any key details, necessarily. Um, there's a couple of things that we only get clued into for the first time on this show that I'll get to later on. 
but on the whole, um, yeah, I wouldn't say my, my hype levels were necessarily all that high for Snickers sold out. But um, there were certain things I was looking forward to on the show. Um, there was a couple of things where I wasn't sure if they were going to happen on this show. I knew they happened around now. One moment in particular um, is... Uh, <laughs> burns deep in the memory but again uh we'll we'll get to it later um this show sold out 1998 uh the opening of wcw's pay-per-view calendar for the year uh coming to you from trotwood ohio in the hara arena on january 24th 1998 um the <laughs> let's just i was i was actually going to jump into who our commentators for the night but that would be doing a disservice to what was uh, a surreal and fabulous opening video package. It was quite the image, wasn't it? Um, so it's like this dramatic. It reminded me very much of when the Simpsons did Edgar Allan Poe's The, the Raven. <laughs> you know, the study that Homer is in, yeah. in it. And it's just, it's like this old kind of haunted study in a haunted mansion and Eric Bischoff is just standing there and like it's kind of it, it's a little weird seeing Easy E standing there in this weird setting just dressed like he normally is on on Thunder or on the pay-per-view just in his leather jacket trying to look as cool as he possibly can um I had no idea what the fuck was going on here like he was in like I said he's in this haunted house it's January yeah, it, it didn't make any sense with the sold-out tag. I yeah. mean, if it was Halloween Havoc, okay, it's kind of spooky-ish. And yeah. Like you say, it kind of plays into that Edgar Allan Poe type deal. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All, all, all it was missing was Raven sitting by the windowsill. Yeah, he, he would have... <laughs> that would have been great. That would have been like an all-timer comedy skit if they had him in doing the quote the Raven nevermore bit. But yeah, it's just kind of this weird incongruity of this kind of gothic setting and there's like greasy as fuck Eric Bischoff sitting there uh, and like he tries to link it in he has a line in here about how uh, I'm looking for more souls to buy at this point I'm starting to question like is is the premise of this intro that he's the Grim Reaper is, is that what he's doing here uh, and then he like in the most clunky kind of segue to the opening of the pay-per-view says hell hath no fury like sold out which is mmm uh, and then we got our. Yeah. Uh, um, I I contemplated uh, a drinking game, but we would have been dead on arrival with this one uh, of having a drink every time they said Snickers on this show, because immediately after this video package, you get a big kind of uh, boisterous Tony Schiavone voice saying WCW and Snickers present uh, sold out. So I I kind of I left that at the door there. That idea of a drinking game, I think. Um, it's not like I know at the time. WWF were doing like these weird ass like melodramatic video packages but this is kind of I don't know man <laughs> it's it's not exactly Freddie Blassie doing a voiceover is it? No like there was kind of even though they were melodramatic ones for WWF there was still like a, a timber and, a, and, a, and a, a gravitas to some of them anyway some of them were a bit silly but this was kind of silly to the point of being quite campy i think uh not what like, i was wild about it in an ironic sort of way not in the way they probably intended uh, our commentary team for tonight tony shivani bobby brain heenan and sadly dusty Rhodes. um 
a legend of the business, not a legend of the commentary table, as I'm sure we will get to <laughs> on this program. Um, our first match going straight into the action here, which I very much appreciate. Oh, actually, sorry, one more thing on the video package. I really appreciate. So, like, when they, um, when WWF used to do those uh, really melodramatic video packages, it was really trying to make, you know, this month's Taker Austin match seem like it was a real like Titanic struggle, this gods and monsters sort of fight uh, that everybody needs to check out. Uh, what I really appreciated about this was Eric Bischoff trying to make it seem that way while kind of projected on the the sheets that are blowing in the background is highlight packages of some non-contact clauses being put on uh, Giant and Nash. It was great. It was, if it was, it was like pure partridge kind of stuff, you know, just that, that complete lack of self-awareness. Uh, really, really liked it. Actually, actually, speaking of uh, Partridge, I know it doesn't fit with the theme, but did you see the uh, email that he sent out to Spawn? Ah, oh, great stuff. Yeah, send it to all the BBC employees. <laughs> and and then someone Fantastic. someone emailed him back and there was like an auto response from the email account about how, um, you know, I'll get back to you in due time and, you know, I'll get back to you as soon as I, I, I want to, basically, with even if you've got a was like a red exclamation mark in your thing, that that, that shit doesn't wash with me. <laughs> Which is great. Oh brilliant. I'm very excited Sorry, for that show. T- taking things off topic, but Yeah, we're uh we're kicking off the action pretty much directly uh with a Lucha eight man tag. Uh, Super Calo, Chavo, uh, Hoovy, and Lismark Jr. taking on La Parca, Silver King, Sikosis, and El Dandy. Now, these guys all came out so quick and were introduced so quick, I had to rewind and watch a second time to make sure I got everybody. Uh, I missed Lismark the first time round. Um... But hey, like this was, this is really, you're kicking off the pay-per-view with the exact sort of stuff that WCW is known for on the undercard. And it's like, these uh, Lucha guys are kind of just, or real great technical wrestlers. Uh, It was kind of WCW's early card bread and butter at the time. Um, And this started off a theme for the night that even in matches that were like quick as a hiccup or... It, some that ended in a schmoz or anything like that i was still quite enjoying myself um and this match i think set the tone for the evening yeah i really enjoyed this match i mean this was the perfect way to start the show um like you say wcw were known for the the undercard really delivering whereas the main events would be kind of so so but mm. i mean i thought this was great for like four or eight guys to just get in the ring and just the fans didn't really seem to care which was a problem. Yeah. But they they killed themselves, I thought. Mm. There was a couple of spots where uh, I think Silver King almost takes out the cameraman very yeah. early on yeah. with a dropkick into the corner. Yeah. Um, obviously, WCW had those those kind of stands where the camera guys would be right on the corner post. Mm-hmm. And a couple of times during the night, you see they get some amazing camera shots, yeah. which I wish... I wish some wrestling promotions would have something similar because you really do get that feel mm. that you're right there in on the action. That's one thing, like, um, WCW doing that sort of stuff uh, around this time was a real kind of... The the movements in the evolution of how wrestling on TV is recorded, uh, it moves very glacially slow. It's, it's only once every God knows how many years that there's a new idea... Um, like after the after kind of the WCW um, 
cameras in the corner and after the Attitude Era sort of ends, I struggle to think of what the next kind of, oh, this is a really cool idea for a camera angle on a major television show until, do you remember when the original NXT reality show started and they started doing Mm. that swooping camera? I was just going to say, I think the swing arm, you know, on uh, Randy Orton's entrance. Yeah. Wasn't that the the last kind Mm. of real innovation that they had? And I think if we were to pay full credit, that probably... TNA used to have that camera arm, didn't they? I think they did. I think they were the first. And then there was nothing after that kind of idea. There was nothing then until the stupid... Like when the shield came around and it was that constantly moving camera that would give you motion sickness. Mm. Which they still haven't gotten rid of. Yeah, I can still remember... um, when WWE first did the what I remember Jerry Lawler would call the Wiley Coyote Camp. Yeah. You know, at the at the top of the like whatever it was, whether it was a ladder mm. match or a cage match or something, and you'd be looking right down as somebody took a massive bump. Yeah. Like I can still remember them introducing that, but like now, like you say, since what, two thousand and five, there really hasn't been much innovation. No, um and like I always appreciate a wrestling company that that shoots something slightly differently. It's one of the many things I really liked about Lucha Underground when it started is that it just looked different. I think the the thing people used to say about Lucha Underground that probably it, you know it, it it bears out is that it wasn't a wrestling TV show. It was a TV show about wrestling, and that's the way it was shot. Uh, so I used to really enjoy that style. I know uh, Impact started doing some real creative stuff with their backstage segments, shooting them like little films, mm-hmm. uh, and then. And some of the indies do some good stuff. Uh, Riptide is the one I think of in particular that uh, has that kind of cinematic. That I was just going to say, it's a very cinematic look. Even on their like YouTube clips, you get the feeling like it's like a motion picture almost yeah. with featuring wrestling. But uh, speaking of the the corner cams, to bring it back to this match, uh, thanks in part to the corner cam for one of these spots. Uh, this match had, I think, this is a weird thing to say, but uh, two of the greatest missed dropkick spills I've ever seen. You know, where you like go up for the dropkick and the guy is not there and and you eat shit, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't remember who who was the two in the... Who were the two in the... I think Silver King hit the second one. I think Lismark hit the first one, where Lismark goes for the dropkick and there's no one there. And by the time he hits the ground, he's almost upside down. That's how much effort he threw into the missed dropkick. <laughs> it was awesome. And then, like, following that up, like, seconds later, I think it was Silver King with the dropkick into the corner and no one there again. And completely... This is where he, where I believe he nearly takes out the cameraman and goes arse yeah, over tea was, kettle yeah. onto the ground. Um, yeah. really really cool um, then kind of La Parca gets tagged in and uh, just a fabulous man with the charisma of 25 men La Parca doing the strut while carrying Hoovy in his arms just yeah. amazing charisma just what a man so he goes to swing for somebody on the apron and misses and takes like a comedy Buster Keaton slip on a banana peel sort of pratfall onto the apron and then he rolls in and then as you say about a minute later he's got he's got Hoovy up in the fallaway slam position and starts dancing and strutting with him. <laughs> it's great stuff. And then kind of a staple of these matches, um, these multi-man matches with luchadors in it, they all... Um, six of them do like planchas and topes all in a row and even though it's really kind of contrived it, it's still always good for an opening match to get the crowd up like it's this wouldn't something as contrived as this i don't think works at a main event angle but i'm absolutely fine with it as opening match fair because you know a crowd is hot for this kind of stuff early i, I, think, I think you're almost doing a disservice a couple of these dives uh, el dandy 
takes out. Uh, yeah. Who is it? He takes out. I think it's Callow. He does like a suicide headbutt, and he yeah, yeah. murders him. He just plows yeah. into him. Oh, I, oh, I take nothing away from the quality of the dive. It's just you know the idea of six in a row mm-hmm. is a little bit. If you're laying out a match, like maybe you you would think will ease up on the dives, but I yeah I had a ball watching this. Um, what else have we got here? Uh, so the leading up to the finish of this match, uh, Sikosis runs and hurls. I can only describe this as hurling himself testicle first at the <laughs> at the turnbuckle and completely wiped himself out. And I have no idea what he was attempting if his opponent had stayed in the corner. You, you know that thing that Kofi Kingston does? <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like that. <laughs> Just a ball to the face. Yeah. Yeah. It, that was... it wouldn't have looked out of place in the Attitude Era. Oh, yeah, it was Chavo that dodged out Yeah, it was Chavo that dodged and then he, he does the uh, Tornado DDT for the kind of anticlimactic yeah. win. Yeah, but I will say, and Chavo kind of... Is he the most prolific, uninteresting wrestler of all time? <laughs> uh, it's I'll, like... I'll be fair to him. Around this time, I think he was very green around now. And yeah. he was kind of just put with the luchadors to learn and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, he doesn't get interesting really until the whole light yeah. sheet steel era. Yeah, a man who like his greatest crime in life was just not being Eddie Guerrero. Um, like always a, a, a solid hand. Uh, uh, just never kind of just couldn't get you interested in stuff but he hits this tornado DT, and i will say he's got a real snap to that yeah. thing so I, I really like that um and yeah he wins but then uh la Parca does as la Parca does and murders everyone with a chair and starts dancing which is all you really want that, that's all i really wanted i didn't even care if la Parca won i just wanted to see him yeah. hit some people with a chair and dance it, it's at this point we should probably talk about the graphics oh our our good friend Jack, who uh, yeah. was talking to us about the show last weekend, and he could not stop mentioning these graphics. <laughs> so I was uh, I watched about half this show with him uh, while we were making stuff for he was over last weekend to go to the OTT show, and uh, I, yeah, I had started making breakfast and I just had it on. There's a TV in the kitchen at the moment. We're getting the house done, so things are kind of all over the place. So there's a TV in the kitchen, and. Um, I had it on through the Chromecast there just to kind of like keep an eye and start noting some things I'd want to write down when I went to do a second pass on the show. And uh, (laughs) I wasn't quite paying attention to the screen and I just hear Jack scream something at the TV like what the fuck sort of bullshit is this? Uh, And I look up and it's this the transitional graphic I would describe it as uh, between action replays uh, and things like that is this kind of sort of semi-CGI'd hand with a spray pay can spraying sold out and then kind of going back on it. And yeah, it's it's hokey by 2019 standards, obviously, but I, c- I can't imagine this looked great in 1998 either. Yeah, it's just like a giant hand comes on the screen and yeah. you, you actually have to sound a every time it does it as well. And yeah. it, it's, yeah, it's... Again, it's immensely distracting. It's very distracting. <laughs> mm. And I can understand why Jack absolutely hated it. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. He's, he's only human. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I kind of... I tried not to let, let it bother me, but every time it happened, it was there, and you couldn't help but notice. I could hear Jack's screams echo in my head every time <laughs> I saw one. 
Um, they do a couple of panning crowd shots before this next little segment starts and I noted my, my first sign of the night nominee here okay. has to be for the guy who has I read the torch <laughs> okay so big shout out for Wade Keller there I didn't know they let wrestlers sit into the crowd on the show but there yeah. you go <laughs> um, so Mean Gene is here and he's talking about how um he can't believe how many world-class wrestlers are backstage. And I, I just thought that was kind of like, he's trying to put over the program, but I enjoy the idea of Gene being consistently surprised when he sees the people he works with every day. No, no, no. Gene was trying to get boys for the hotline. Yeah. Yeah. He, this is, oh, this is absolutely what he's doing. He, but you won't believe I just, who's backstage. <laughs> I just love to live in a world where Gene walks into catering every single taping. And it's just like, holy shit, it's Ric Flair. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he's trying to plug. Gene was well known for this tip line in the nineties, mm-hmm. um, and tip lines were a, like that's a real cultural artifact of the nineties. Uh, do you want to explain to the the painfully younger listeners that might be out there what a tip line consisted of in the nineties? Okay, so before the internet, and there was a time before the internet, <laughs> there sure was before Al Gore invented it. And <laughs> um, basically. Wrestling information was very hard to come by, especially if you didn't subscribe to, like, The Observer or The Torch or, like, especially for us in Ireland. I mean, I don't know about you, but I didn't subscribe to The Torch or The Observer at the time. I kind of got information wherever I could. Yeah. And basically, there more it was more kind of more in America, you'd have these hotlines. So basically, people would have a premium phone number, like a... Uh, what would we have over here? Like a 1-800-1850? was the hot kind of the premium numbers in Ireland. Um, but basically, you'd have these premium numbers you ring. It'd be like $3 for the first minute and then $1.50 for every minute thereafter. Yeah, um, I was trying to think of a, a, a kind of universal touchstone. As I imagine that episode of The Simpsons with the Corey hotline. Yes. It's that, like, that, here that, are yeah. words that rhyme with Corey. Allegory. <laughs> Montessori <laughs> that, that was basically it you'd ring and like some of them would tell you like who, what wrestler's birthdays it was kind of history that happened on this day but you'd also have hotlines that would have latest news like you'd have Mean Gene who would try and pass off like former world champion shows up backstage at Nitro and it would be like Wahoo McDaniel Hogan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it'd be stuff like that, like threatening about, oh, you won't believe this wrestler that walked out of WWF or whatever at the time, and oh, which wrestler in ECW hasn't been paid? Hint, it was all of them. Yeah, <laughs> um, but basically stuff like that, and it was just kind of making money off off the marks, as they would say. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Even the the aforementioned sheets, uh, as you as you put it at the time, the. The Observer had a hotline in the nineties as well. That um, that's how wasn't that how Brian Alvarez and Dave initially met? Is that he did some time working for the Observer hotline? I don't know. I've never I've never subscribed to the Observer, so I don't really yeah. know the whole backstory with Dave and yeah, Brian. So, so I believe there were I believe there was an Observer hotline that Brian um ended up working for. Uh, like working with a little bit here or there I think that was the story anyway at the time um, I think figure 4 had its own hotline at the very start but I, I'm unsure on that uh, it's been a long time since I've heard some of those old Yada shows where they talk about that kind of stuff uh, anyway 
yeah Gene gets his, his plug for the tip line out of the way anyway we move on to our next match uh, which is Raven versus Benoit in the kind of nebulously titled Raven's Rules match um, which is basically just anything goes um, which I thought was funny because of what happens right at the start here um, Raven comes out with the flock and immediately I figured out what the flock looked like as this little motley crew coming out mm-hmm. like I know they're I know they're trying to look grunge and shit like that but do you know what they look like? Go on. The movie Zoolander. They they look like Mugatu's derelict campaign where everybody's <laughs> kind of just wearing trash. <laughs> just do me a favor, everybody, and like the next time you watch Sold Out 98, because I know it's in everybody's regular rotation, why would it not be at Snickers Sold Out after all? Just in the back of your head, as, as the flock are coming out here, just think of Will Ferrell saying, derelict. <laughs> Uh, and it, it matches up better than you'd think. Um, so even though it's a Ravens rules match, um, we get a letter from WCW management. Presumably a telegram was sent from backstage um, saying that Raven is instructed that he must wrestle tonight and that the flock is barred from ringside. So, so much for Ravens rules. Um, Benoit's out and they... It's kind of just brawling for a while, isn't it? Yeah, it kind of... It, it... It is just kind of brawling, and it's not really what you'd expect from a Benoit match. I know Benoit had the the really good series with Sullivan, where it was kind of a lot of brawl and stuff like that. Um, I did love before the match starts. He, uh, Bobby Heenan has a great line about Raven. Raven's just sitting in the corner while Benoit's making his entrance, and Heenan just says, "There's one sick bird," and I just thought that's a great line. <laughs> yeah, and Raven um, does cut a very cringy promo at the start as well. Uh, about how he's always like he's never had friends and stuff like that, so it doesn't really bother him that the flock aren't there. And then quote the Raven, "Nevermore." It's not ugh. for a guy who was like a very witty, uh, like individual and couldn't shut him the fuck up by all accounts. Uh, kind of poor from him here, I think. Yeah, it wasn't his best promo to be honest. Um, I did love there was a little detail of Raven as wearing odd boots. Mm. And I just I love little things like that that just play into the character. Like, not everyone's gonna notice it, but he, you know he did it for a reason. Yeah, he certainly like he had a lot of authorship over that character, and he definitely, even though this wasn't as I said his his greatest promo of all time, he definitely took a lot of pride in that character and like had fully fleshed it out himself. Um, and it kind of it makes me it, it makes me sad for that we would after the this uh, big three period, this attitude era, we would go through many years where people who had developed these fully realized gimmicks elsewhere just, just weren't allowed to do them. Um, and it's a shame, but uh, eh, what can you do? Anyway, yeah, as we said, a lot of brawling here at the start <laughs> wasn't, uh, as you say, what you'd expect from a typical Benoit match, but I, I suppose this mm-hmm. is what you would expect from a typical flock era Raven match. Uh, even though he could himself, like he, not necessarily on the level of a Chris Benoit, but he could have had a a, a decent wrestling wrestling match with him. Um, yeah, like Raven has that in his locker that he can have a wrestling mm. match when he wants. Um, I I think coming up that these these do have a kind of a long series of matches with DDP involved as well at some point, and I believe they do have better matches yeah. down the line. So I kind I kind of I wasn't too hard on this one. Um. I did like the finish. Mm. Well, before before we get to the finish, 
I want to mention that this is already second match of the show. I am sick of Dusty on commentary. <laughs> so we got a couple of lines here that I wrote down, and it's all following. He had clearly hit on what he thought was a winning reference or a winning joke, and he just kept beating it into the ground. So at one stage, Raven takes out a chair, hits a running bulldog on Benoit on the chair, at which point Dusty Rhodes says, that's called taking a seat. When somebody say take a seat, that's it. <laughs> see, see, I think I zoned out a lot of oh, Dusty's commentary because mate. I remember listening. I listened to him at the time, like I've heard Dusty commentary before, so I think I zoned yeah. it out automatically. So he got. I do. I, I, I just got to say, I do know at one stage he throws out, a, and that's the bottom uh, line before this match. He got. He got. So he got completely no sold on commentary for that little. I don't know if you call it a joke. It certainly was, I guess, supposed to be one. Uh, and then later on, so Benoit starts hitting a lot of moves on on Raven on the chair. Uh, Tony says, like, uh, the first one of them, Tony says, and that's an eye for an eye. And that Dream butts in with a, at a seat for a seat. They both got seats now. <laughs> I remember that one, actually, yeah. Oh, God. My God. And they make pains to... There's a couple of suplexes that kind of miss the center of the chair, and they, they definitely uh, make an effort to point out that, oh, it's the legs of the chair. They're just as painful. Um, at one point here, and you can't help but keep, uh, you know, where things would eventually go in your head when things happen, like Benoit hitting a diving headbutt directly onto the fucking oh, chair. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, <sighs> Yeah, I did not enjoy that one. Uh, but the finish, you were saying, you really enjoyed and I think I agree. Yeah, I'd, I'd love the finish of uh, Benoit locks in the crossface and Raven begins to smile and enjoy himself and passes out. And he just, yeah, he, he full on cackling. And he just has this sick smile. Even when he's out cold, you just you can see the smile. It's just, it's a brilliant. I thought that was brilliant character work. Yeah. For sure, because we have the... So we've had the kind of, uh, over the, the the spread of Benoit's career, you have the people who kind of immediately tap because the crossface mm-hmm. is so dangerous. You have the people who struggle and then tap. And you have, of course, the, the people who pass out in the crossface. Um, but this is one I don't know if I remember seeing anybody else do, this idea of the kind of, yeah, laughing and cackling because you, you, you enjoy the misery and the pain, which is, as you say, great character work for Raven. That is, his his mind for, for wrestling is is quite something, I would say. Yeah, I mean, you, hear, you always hear people talk about Raven's great mind for the business. So I have, I have no doubt that this was his input for the finish. So, yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, the match was fine. It wasn't blow away. I think it probably an important start, probably the feud, and we'll see where it goes yeah. from here. Uh, I did like Malenko coming out and yeah, um, getting involved. The, the, the tightest, whitest T-shirt he could find. <laughs> it's nineteen ninety eight. I'm not gonna. Yeah, I'm not gonna challenge his fashion on this one. At least he wasn't like Bret Hart style. Yeah, that that that's now my go to for a bad fashion is Bret yeah. Hart. The, the KY boots, yeah, yeah that's that's going to take a while to beat, I think. Um, so yeah, Malenko and the flock were out after there's a bit of a brawl. Uh, moving on to our next match, and one of the ones I was definitely looking forward to after the build, and that was Jericho versus Ray for the Cruiserweight mm-hmm. title. Um, this match is all based around uh, one of our fa- our friend Jamesy's favourite things, and that's selling the leg. Oh yeah, a lot of selling the leg in this one. 
Yeah, Ray came out with a big kind of Steve Austin-sized knee brace on his leg and wearing, I imagine in a deliberate way, wearing, wearing very light-coloured tights mm-hmm. to accentuate that the brace was there. Nice little bit of work there. Um, so yeah, Jericho, anytime he's on top of this match, is like viciously attacking the leg and um, just just great stuff. I really, really enjoyed a lot of this match. Um, there's one point where Jericho is doing a pose here and I, I had to ask myself, did Chris Jericho invent the dab 20 years ago? Do you know what? I had the same talk. Especially, he does it outside yeah. the ring at one point. Yeah. And it's like, like, it's like he's doing like a knockoff version of Hogan's pose, but yeah, it's very yeah. dab-esque, as you say. Yeah, he doesn't quite like, you know, the, the, when they do the, when these young'uns these days, these whippersnappers, Lee, and they, they do their dabbing, um, <laughs> they, they nod the head in. Uh, to the the crook of the elbow, mm-hmm. so he doesn't quite go that far, but definitely the arms are sort of in position for the dab. It was, it was kind of wild. Um, it's a, it was a weird. This is a complete fucking segue, but the dab thing kind of took on while I was still teaching in a secondary school, and uh, or high school for those uh, American friends of ours <laughs> tuning in. Um, and it was like this weird thing where ki- like young people were obsessed with trying to get the teachers to do the dab and they thought it was like the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> I was like, this is really fucking weird. Um, they would they would try to get teachers to do the dab or the other thing that was really popular at the time because this was around the time that people started to ironically and non-ironically enjoy the darts. So they'd constantly try and create a situation where a teacher would be forced to say 180, at which point the kids would get up and start dancing <laughs> for god's sake <laughs> uh, like uh, the teachers would be complaining about it like what sort of dumb shit is this but then i started thinking oh there was probably like 101 other dumb things i actually i can think of one that was definitely really dumb um in my secondary school i don't know if it was a this is really fucking off topic now but just speaking of dumb shit uh we used to do this thing called pocketing did you have that in school what explain what you call pocketing? Uh, so pocketing was when you would. Uh, it was a competition across the school to assemble the most detached shirt pockets as possible. You would rip a classmate's uh, shirt pocket clean off their their school shirt. Okay. And you got. I, I think in our school you got bonus points for getting them to sign it after you took it <laughs> off. Okay. That's a lot more advanced than what we call pocketing. Yeah, so was that was yours just pickpocketing? <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't actually. Uh, in around like third, fourth year, it was third year actually. I think I remember. Um, my whole year got suspended. <laughs> just about a week okay. before our junior certs, and they were threatening not to let us back into the school afterwards <laughs> because. We figured out, I don't know how or who figured out, that if you know the seam at the pocket on your trousers, yeah, if yeah. you pull it with enough force, the trousers will rip all the way down. <laughs> so there was an epidemic for about two weeks <laughs> of the lunch breaks of everyone standing with their hands in their pockets. And if you didn't, somebody was going to come up behind you and put... It was basically just get your thumb into the pocket and just drag as hard as you could Jesus except the problem was that people started doing it to the girl's skirts oh no yeah 
Oh dear, ha- yeah, that was a that that's a deserved year wide suspension. Ha- in fairness, hence why we all got suspended. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think the most interesting thing that happened in the version of pocketing we had in our school was my buddy uh, who was in I was in third year at the time. He was in sixth year. Shout out to Alan who definitely isn't listening to this. Um, he had the locker beside me. That's how we became mates, and uh, I had removed my own pocket just because I didn't want the hassle I'd given it to somebody who was trying to take it off me I was like I don't fucking care here you go but uh he had the same rationale a mate of his from six year went up and cornered him at the locker and went to take his pocket and he goes stand back I'll do it <laughs> and he he pulls the pocket as hard as he can and Lee I swear to god as, as true as I am sitting here he tore the entire bottom half of the shirt off oh, amazing <laughs> and he he had no jumper, so he was just walking around at lunchtime with essentially a belly top with long sleeves. To bring it back, he probably looked like a member of the flock. Yeah, he probably did. Excellent segue, <laughs> my friend. <laughs> but, uh, Jesus, I, I didn't think we'd get that far off the point uh, after Jericho inventing the dab. Um, so yeah, this match was really good. Back and forth, a lot of selling the leg, working the leg, great stuff. Uh, the finish comes, r- I really like this finish as well. Um... Ray goes to hit the Hurricane Rana off the top rope. Uh, Jericho grabs him, jumps off the top rope perfectly into Lion Tamer position and taps him out. Yeah, oh, what, loved the finish. Absolutely adored it. Um, Ray, despite the bad knee, was, was still flying around. He was selling it like he was doing just enough to remind you that it wasn't okay. But to, he goes up top, looks for the Hurricane Rana, and um, like you say, the, the perfect counter. He brings him down like... He almost brought him down onto his face, almost. Um, And then just straight into the uh, line tamer. I think Ray even tapped before it was fully locked in. And Yeah, yeah, it was a proper high-angle line tamer as well, which I'm sure pleased Bobby Heenan. It was brilliant. And um, afterwards... Jericho isn't happy that the fans are booing, so he <laughs> this he, this is I, I I know it's in the back of my head because it was last night as we're recording this, but this was an Oscar winning promo. Oh yeah, he's like, don't boo me, you don't boo me. <laughs> yeah, and then he starts laying kicks into Ray, going, go on, boo me. Yeah, I'll give I'll, I'll give, give you something, you something to boo. To boo. <laughs> and he takes the brace off and whips Ray with the brace. Yeah, and then uh, after he brings him outside and he. He basically wrapped one leg in between the stairs, like the back of the stairs and something, and he attacked the other knee with a chair, I think. And mm-hmm. then he was like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and just kind of walks away without the title. <laughs> yeah. Oh, just like, how, I know it's kind of hindsight is twenty twenty, but how this company didn't see just massive bags of money every time they looked at Jericho. And how even WWE, when he went there, didn't see massive bags of money for fucking years in that man is beyond me. Thankfully, he ended up having the career that was about the level he deserved. Mm-hmm. Um, but fuck me, what what a talent and one of my, my all-time faves. Mm-hmm. And definitely not discounting Ray, who put in a great shift here in spite of the actual dodgy knee he had. Oh, God, like Ray at this time, his knees, even in 1998, his knees were pretty much shattered at the time. Wasn't it in 1998 or was it 1999 where a doctor told him essentially if he jumped off a curb he would break his leg? I think it was 99, but it wouldn't yeah. shock me if it was 98. Like as we'll yeah. see throughout the podcast, the braces on Ray's knees just get bigger yeah. and heavier and bigger. 
And I mean that that's why he wore the baggy pants in WWE because his knees were in such a state yeah. that they and didn't want them in the uh, the traditional tights. Yeah, and worth noting, twenty one years later, motherfuckers still having bangers on WWE TV. Well, did, like, did didn't he get? He had a stem cell treatment on his yeah. knees, and that's why they're so did much the better. Full, the full fucking Robin Van Persie horse placenta <laughs> treatment. Uh, Wasn't that him that had that? Was it? Yeah, I think it was him that had the... I I, I really don't want to Google Robin Van Persie, Persie horse placenta, but here I am anyway. <laughs> I'm pretty sure... Like, I remember well, hearing it was a real joke at the time. Well, well, well you're doing that, I'll say Chris Jericho is now a uh, three-time Cruiserweight champion. Yeah. And uh, does not look... Uh, anywhere close to cruiserweight no he doesn't at all yeah Robin Van per- Percy horse placenta but it was for his ankle not his knee wow I was not aware of that one yeah there you go apparently 12 Premier League players have had it before so I'll leave that for the, the Thunder Buddies to research if they want to look that shit I'll, up because I don't want to talk about it anymore I'm going to guess Sam or <laughs> Nasri is one of them yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah drip doctors <laughs> what a what uh, a day uh, next segment Mean Gene and JJ out and I'm rubbing my hands together lately we're finally going to get a resolution someone is going to walk home with the title tonight um, JJ starts off the segment basically admitting he had a fucking clue what he was doing um, <laughs> I, I felt I was right I wrote down I felt like JJ should have said I'm robbing a living here I have yeah, I yeah. don't want to make a decision <laughs> <laughs> a whole month of not making a decision and he goes ah, you know what I've absolutely fucked it here so obviously he called Roddy Piper so Piper comes out and at this point I don't know if you noticed during Piper's entrance the single greatest moment in the history of this podcast took place mm. because we've been joking since the start of this show about how this show is Snickers sold out brought to you by Snickers during Piper's entrance, <laughs> the camera pans across the crowd, and there is a man holding a fucking Snickers aloft in the air. No, I missed it. <laughs> thrusting it up like it's a, a lighter during Freebird or like a sign for his favorite wrestler or some shit. Oh no! I can't believe I missed that. I'm gonna to have to go back and watch it. It's, we have we, I, have, we have to screen grab that. So for oh, what do you think the cover art for this episode is gonna be, my friend? <laughs> it's at about the 51 minute 10 second mark for anyone who wants to go back. Like blink and you'll miss it. Brony, but Brony, just, Brony has to give that one. He has got it in the air. I fucking died. I paused. I rewound. I died again. Just perfect. Oh god. And the, I, I really I watched for the rest of the show like a hawk anytime they cut to the crowd because I really wanted that motherfucker to be holding that thing two hours later during the main event like what sort of maniac at this point I assume they probably with the sponsorship everybody got a Snickers coming in or something like that and this guy has managed to hold on to it for 51 minutes at the pay-per-view let alone how long he was in the building before that that's amazing that, that is he's like, perfect and he's like I know what I'm gonna do I'm going to show Roddy Piper my Snickers. <laughs> Do you think you got someone to sign that Snickers? I, I fucking hope so. 
<laughs> that's the greatest payoff to a three-week thing we were building and we didn't even know oh, it was great fantastic that's it i think we should just end the podcast now that, that that's the main <laughs> event end the whole it. run this is our out um so what i really appreciate about this segment is we got two things clarified very early on that we had been kind of musing on and wondering about since we started the podcast um so piper and jj finally explained why piper was even invited to be here in the first place it was that he had booked the starcade match as the interim commissioner i don't know why three weeks of thunder passed without anybody explaining that to me okay so let's go through who's actually in charge at this moment so, so we, JJ we have JJ is now yeah. Michael Ambrose. We have Nick Ambrose who represents WCW in some way. We have yeah. er- Eric Bischoff who's still an executive. Yeah. We have Roddy Piper who was interim commissioner or still is. We're not quite sure. He, he was until the I believe he was until he suffered nerve damage at Halloween Havoc and then went off to hang out with Chuck Norris. But yeah, he still got to make the match uh, Starcade. I, I guess. Uh, maybe they booked it before Starcade. Uh, before Havoc. Uh, again, we're, or yeah, before Havoc. Like, again, we're trying to stay context-free on this show where possible. Okay, um, we also, wasn't there another WCW executive that we've seen? Was there somebody else? I believe... <sighs> we've seen Lambros twice. Yeah. What... Larry isn't ex- an executive. He's just fighting the good fight for WCW. Yeah, he's just the territory's biggest baby face. <laughs> I could swear there's another one that we're forgetting. Oh, there probably is. And there'll probably be many more. But, I mean, th- that, that alone, from. that's four people that have been in charge of the show so far. In three weeks. Uh-huh. Just on Thunder. Yeah. It's not about too many cooks, uh, <laughs> I think. Um Piper has a line in here. Piper is definitely uh, in rare form here. As he said, very topically, Hogan has more ways to uh, to get away with the title than Bill Clinton has alleged girlfriends. Which, <laughs> which elicits an oh from the crowd. So that'll tell you at what point in history this is. This is somewhere in between Jennifer Flowers and Monica Lewinsky. Which is where Bill was. Yeah, much like Bill himself. <laughs> Oh, too oh. too easy, too easy. Oh. So, um, Sting comes out, uh, and I think I'm just going to get mad every single time Sting comes out that WWE never used his theme. Oh, I have the same thing. I love this music so much. Dude, the Crow theme is legit one of the, the top ten, if not top five, <laughs> wrestling themes of all time. Well, it's, well, the, it's pitch perfect. It's definitely top it's top three WCW anyway it's right oh, right, it's, right up there yeah. with American Males yeah oh for sure <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't have that those sweet ass lyrics <laughs> like American Males um, um, I loved when uh, Piper calls out Hall and Hogan and him and me <laughs> and Gene exactly where you're going him and this. me and Gene are on the mic cracking jokes the entire time <laughs> Yeah, so this is like not the commentary microphones for people who didn't put themselves through this pay-per-view. This is the actual house mic. They were in the ring as Hogan, Hall, and Bischoff. Was it Bischoff? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, coming yeah. to the ring. And they are fucking burying the pair of them. <laughs> Including my favourite line, maybe of the whole show, from Piper, where he said, because the reason they were burying them, apart from them being the bad guys, is that they were taking fucking ages to get to the ring. 
at which point Piper says, this reminds me of Hogan picking up a bar tab. A little slow on the draw, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I think that wasn't that Oakland, though. Oh, was I think Oakland? that was Oakland, because I, well, I have that one down as Oakland. Oh, yeah, And, yeah, and okay, while they're cracking jokes, I believe Heenan is cracking jokes as well in the background. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. It's like, uh, Oakland says to Piper, did you invite Bischoff here? And Piper's like, no, no, he just likes to get his nose involved in everything. <laughs> just like, yeah, he goes, he's like, I didn't mention Bischoff at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Just for the, like two minutes, they're making their way down slowly. Yeah. It's just cracking jokes to the live crowd. But, Brilliant. but as well, like, you know that they can clearly hear the two of them burying them and they just no sell it like they can't hear yes. it. Which kind of makes it better as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so then we have our second explanation that I've been wondering about for a while is that why was Scott Hall in the title picture here? Because the whole time we've been hearing about how Scott Hall is going to be there when they make the decision. So it turns out that Scott Hall had won World War Three, which made him the de facto number one contender. Um, but because of this whole mess over whether Hogan or Sting was the champion, he was kind of his Piper explains that his number one contendership would have to be would have to wait until a champion was decided. And in I have to say, in what I think may have been a not very veiled shot at uh, what Scott Hall's social life was like, Piper said that he couldn't get a title shot at the DMV. Because I believe this was at the start of the period of time during which Scott Hall was involved in a series of car wrecks that he somehow evaded, like, lasting physical harm from. I I knew that Hall had had a couple of crashes. I wasn't sure if it was around this time. I'm pretty sure it's in or around this period of time. It would seem a bit coincidental for this joke. I was just going to say, but the fact that he cracked that joke made me think, yeah, it's probably around now that... And it was probably like a veil shot at everything that was going on. Hmm. And then in the ultimate payoff for people who um, paid for the pay-per-view to see who was going to be the WCW champion, Sting vs. Hogan was announced for Super Brawl. In the shock that we all expected. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think neither of us expected that we were going to get any kind of resolution here. I think they teased like the live crowd with them all coming out in their gear that there yeah. was going to be some kind of payoff on the night. Mm. But obviously, I think we all knew. I tell you as well, three thunders at a pay per view. Yet to see Hulk Hogan wrestle, greatest worker of all time. Well combined, maybe two bumps. Yeah, like like a couple of spots. He hasn't taken a bump properly apart from that like incredibly choke, cushioned cho- choke slam. Choke nap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was his choke nap on the show last week. So yeah, I mean, um, I mean, at least we get we're building up to Super Brawl, so we know what the main event is going to be there. And there'll absolutely be never any controversy about the WCW title ever again after that. Absolutely, I'm certain. Um, after this announcement, a fight breaks out uh, during which Hall abandons Hogan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hogan is confused and angry and, and shouts off Mike in a kind of weird run on sentence. That's my belt and what's wrong with Scott Hall? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Let's go backstage, brother, and find out what's wrong with Hall. <laughs> yeah. I like the idea of Hulk Hogan, man who must uh, say every thought he has out loud. <laughs> well, we've all seen that video. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> uh, our next match is Rick Martel versus Booker T. Um, this is great uh, unless I have forgotten uh, my favourite thing about this match is that our first sighting of the television champion 
is on pay-per-view. Makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he was probably on Thunder during this period, but you'd think you get a new show on the air on the Superstation. You want your TV champion on that TV show, but here he is defending on pay-per-view. I will, I will say I love Booker's look around now, around this time. Yeah, with the tape across the nose. Yeah, and the, 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 the flame the tights. tights and, uh, he's in phenomenal shape. I don't, know, I don't know how old Booker is around now, but Jesus, he looked jacked. Yeah, he was... This was definitely... Because um, this was the start of him being taken seriously mm-hmm. as, a, as, as a singles guy. They, they talk a lot about how it's incredible that even at... at, at like, at, at, in 1998, himself and Stevie had already been seven-time tag champions. Did, did they win which, the belts after this point? I can't. You see, I can't recall. I don't think they do. Um, I because they don't. They don't split up for a good while after. Oh this. no, it's like mid ninety nine when we get the yeah yeah the Harlem Heat field. But um, I don't think they ever were tag champs after this. Maybe maybe they did have a, a run in early ninety nine. Yeah, just a kind of like token run, perhaps. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, I I enjoyed this match. I I thought it was fairly good like it wasn't blow away um i did like that so booker. booker sorry booker t would have been 31 maybe 32 at this time okay because he's he's 53 now uh i was just i was curious about that <laughs> but yeah like looking in in great shape here um yeah what what did you think of the match i i enjoyed it i looked the way um booker kept going back to the armbar made yeah. sense so yeah good match here uh like you said booker is in prime condition he's definitely up for this one um the one thing about it is maybe i would like to have seen uh the rick martell of a few years earlier in this match because i think uh, he feels a little bit like he's carrying slightly too much weight for the things he wants to do there's a lot of kind of athletic spots he's attempting in this match that I think were it not for Booker's incredible strength uh, he wouldn't have been able to pull off Booker's definitely helping him along a bit more than you'd want it to look like um, but that said yeah still very very enjoyable match I think um, <laughs> there's another dusty line in this that I absolutely hated where I I, I believe it's Martel gets Booker in an abdominal, abdominal stretch and Dusty's line is abdominal stretch that's just what it is <laughs> thanks Dusty <laughs> that sounds like an ad yeah that's just the slogan for abdominal stretches <laughs> oh brilliant uh, there's a point in this match a really strange refereeing moment where Martel gets Booker in the Quebec crab mm-hmm. uh, and the ref taps out okay see I have this written down as well um just before that, Martel does a spine buster and Ar- uh, Brain calls it an Aaron Anderson spine buster, which I think could be the first instance of somebody calling a spine buster the Aaron spine buster. But, um, maybe. Yeah, uh, Martel locks in the Quebec crowd just after. And the ref mm. is, I mean, directly in Booker's face, screaming at him while he's furiously tapping the mat. Yeah. Like, I get that the referees scream in the face, go, do you tap, do you tap? But. Like he's violently tapping out and I'm thinking like within the internal logic of the wrestling if this is a shoot Martel has him in the Quebec he's gonna let go cannot see (laughs) Booker's top half of the body and he hears tapping you know that would Um, actually be a good finish 
that would be a good finish, but that's not what they did. <laughs> uh, the referee shoves him off and he assumes he has won mm. <laughs> and sort of celebrates here. Booger wins the match with, I think, probably the worst Harlem hangover. Yeah. Uh, he, 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 uh, he he almost completely misses him. Like, he, he kind of grazes him with it. I, I did like the finishing sequence. He, like, nails the axe kick, the, side, the Harlem sidekick. Dude, the the pop he got for hitting that axe kick from the crowd mm-hmm. was unreal. The crowd were unbelievably into Booker. I I was amazed by how over he was. But yeah, the, yeah. the Harlem hangover. Great move in theory. But Jesus, yeah. he misses by a mile. I think his, his calf grazes Martel's head. Um, yeah. But yeah, good. I thought, good win. Good showcase for Booker on pay-per-view. Yeah, and so far, like in terms of match quality, I'm I'm really enjoying this show at this point. Um, obviously, as we've talked about, some of the commentary and and some of the the, the booking stuff is, uh, <laughs> but so far, I've I've enjoyed the wrestling. Like, this is the kind of upside of everything in WCW being kind of short sprints. Mm-hmm. Is that very rarely does anything stick around with you long enough for it to annoy you so even the less good stuff kind of just washes over you because there's another segment right around the corner you know what i mean yeah i mean even looking at the uh on the network the way they have everything you know they have the chapters you can skip to you can see that the matches aren't long so that kind of helps like you know that something isn't going to overstay its welcome and i mean this was perfect this was like exactly what it needed to be um Mm. saturn obviously jumps in after the match yelling stooge down the camera after he attacks Martel again so we're obviously building to that match uh, at some point down the line mm-hmm. uh, and then our next match the match I think that was probably the best maybe the best build of all of them uh, and that's Scott Hall versus Larry Zabisco the greatest man on earth um, <laughs> the boys come out for this match uh, Louis Piccoli uh, kind of trailing in tow Um Larry is just he's still so good at this point isn't he he's like why wasn't he wrestling full time <laughs> dude I have no idea like I was thinking see I don't have really because by the time I was obsessively watching WCW he just wasn't really wrestling at all he was still a presence uh, as part of the broadcast but he, he certainly wasn't I wasn't watching him having proper matches all the time at least that's the way I'm, I recall like at, um, at the time I remember I remember at the start of Nitro he would stand up and kind of do his little wave to the crowd and like he'd get this huge pop and I remember getting annoyed as a kid going like why is this guy getting a big cheer and why does he get to do this every yeah. week now I know the dude was fucking yeah. amazing <laughs> Dude, he's so good. Like, he's so sharp and everything is so crisp what he does now. Obviously, it helps that he has Scott Hall in there who who is very good in spite of, obviously, the issues he has going on outside of the ring at this point. He's still a, a great guy to be wrestling. But, yeah, Larry is so good. It's a real back-and-forth match, a knockdown, drag-out kind of thing. I was just... I wasn't even writing notes for most of this. I was just really, really fucking into it and enjoying it. There's one point where kind of... Um Scott got the heat on Larry and Larry makes a comeback and starts firing up with these punches in the corner mm-hmm. and not only the cr- not only did the crowd go crazy I was fucking going crazy on my couch <laughs> like fucking get him Larry <laughs> yeah it, it's it's a weird comparison to make but you know the way Devlin lays in these punches now on OTT yeah 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 
and that's what I was like. He's just throwing in these body shots on Hall in the corner, and you're like, yeah, fucking get him. I swear to God, I might tweet Ango and ask him to throw in a Shades of Zabisco. <laughs> and if he does that, he'll be my friend for life. Um, I will say, like, do you know the history between Zabisco and Hall? I don't know if you covered this on one of the first episodes or not. Um, going back to the AWA. He he mentions it in a promo at the start, but I don't know if we've gone into it in depth. So so treat the listeners to a, a a bit of history here, Lee. Yeah, basically when Scott Hall was starting out in the business, I don't know if you've have you ever seen any of the early Scott Hall pictures with the tash. Oh yeah, where he looks like Graham Soonis. Oh, it's phenomenal. Like 1986, 1987 ish era, Scott Hall, the big perm. He's got the tash. He's got like chest hair that makes Prince Albert's blush <laughs> he, um, but basically he was in the AWA at the time starting out and I believe Larry was like a really great mentor for him and took him like basically took him under his wing and taught him a lot of what you know a lot what a lot of what Scott came to know and be good at was taught by Zabisco so yeah. this program was kind of Scott's Scott Hall's way of giving back to Zabisco Oh, yeah, and you can tell Hall was fucking loving this whole run. Like, not just the match, but the interactions all month that we've been watching. Yeah, I mean, even at the start of the match, you know the way Hall has his... He throws the toothpick and he does that start of every match, basically. I swear the camera is far enough away that it's in doubt, but I could swear that Hall is smirking like a fucking Cheshire cat because the match is about to start. And it just... I love this just for you can see how much like Skull is bumping around and stooging around like a motherfucker here and it's not every day you see Scott Hall do this for someone um, yeah. and it's just you can tell the two of them are in there having a fucking ball and I love it yeah uh, it's just it's absolutely great stuff the the other the kind of Chekhov's gun of this match that we haven't really mentioned is that Larry had talked about on Thunder that he wasn't coming alone to this match and at the start as he comes out he pu- he gestures over to the commentary stand uh, table and Dusty Rhodes gets up and comes down to the ring with him at which point I, I realise I am mercifully free for the rest of this programme of the commentary of Dusty Rhodes um and it kind of the 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 match breaks down um, as Spicoli gets involved and nearly gets choked out again in a flash by Zabisco. <laughs> um, Dream comes into the ring and look, you know, I buried his commentary, and he's definitely at you know he's he's at that stage of his life where even for Dusty he's carrying a few extra pounds and mm-hmm. he's not really particularly mobile. But Lee, I swear to God, when he started hitting those elbows, I lost my goddamn mind. You weren't the only one. My God, dude, this crowd go fucking bananas when dude, Dusty starts throwing the elbows. An absolute master of working the crowd. He's just gyrating and shivering and the knees are wobbling as he's throwing these bionic elbows. And God damn, it's just... Oh, it's great this is the kind of stuff where i'm glad we're doing this podcast like like i have a Um, smile on my face talking about this it was it was so great yeah and and it's just so good Uh, and we go what a roller coaster because then we go into what i recall as a very infamous watershed moment for okay this thing has gone far too far Mm -hmm. as dusty turns on larry and joins the nwo yeah it's real kind of like 
like what now like where where do you go from here like why why would Dusty Rhodes join the NWO it makes no yeah. sense I don't I don't know what explanation we get down the road but I, like nothing can explain this that I just don't get it yeah one uh, the thing the only thing I really liked about this turn was the selling that Tony and Brain do in the following segment mm-hmm. about this like genuinely feeling betrayed and devastated at what their friend and colleague had done um, and of particular note is the line Brain throws in kind of like real understated for Bobby and, and kind of just like just bereft of any understanding saying how did they get to him yeah that I really, really liked, but just the decision as a whole to turn Dusty with the NWO is, ugh, you know. Like, the the last thing they need is more managers and more hangers-on, so it just, ugh, yeah, it was, a, it was a good moment, if that's your thing, but yeah, it just kind of, it felt like an out for the match, and they kind of, like, just said, oh, we'll go from here, and I, I doubt it really goes anywhere that's memorable. Yeah. Um, moving on anyway, as we go with some uh, six-man tag team action, as the team of Scott Norton and the tag team I will henceforth refer to as Lee's Boys, uh, Conan and Buff Bagwell, hang on, take hang on, on. Hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> it should be Conan, ambitious and delicious. <laughs> it should be, but it's not. It's Scott Norton <laughs> and Lee's Boys. <laughs> Uh, accompanied by Vincent, take on uh, the greatest uh, tandem ever put on this earth, Team Beefy Da, uh, accompanied by Ted DiBiase. Um, early thing I noticed about this match, uh, the gear. I really enjoy how Team Beefy Da have made the effort to match up their gear going under the theme of Leather Daddies. Uh <laughs> Scott and Buff obviously are wearing matching gear dressed as brick walls but spectacularly Conan is not arsed. Conan just showed up at the arena dressed like that. Yeah. yeah. The closest you get is I guess if you want to at a stretch you could say Conan is wearing boxers that are roughly a similar colour to the red brick on the two boys tights but that is really stretching it I think. (laughs) Um, I have that uh, Team Beefy Da look like the the team from dodgeball you know where they get the, the kids mixed up yeah <laughs> it's the second ben stiller movie <laughs> reference on the show so Good yeah stuff. that'll give you an idea and all, yeah, all, all you playing all, bingo at home just wait for the tropic thunder reference in in hour three all it's missing is db wearing the choker that says daddy <laughs> <laughs> uh what did you think of this match uh, yeah, it, it took place <laughs> okay. anyway. Yeah, yeah, it certainly did. <laughs> um, I, I, I did like little storyline touches of Scott and um, Bossman or what's his name, Trailer Ray Trailer, um, not Ray wanting Trailer, to tag yeah. in Scott because he would never get out of the ring then. Yeah, but like t- Team NWO, uh, they were on offense for a lot, and which was very boring. Um, yeah, not much um, to it. Yeah, um, so one thing that was great about this match was that uh, Mike Tanay sat back in on commentary. He was on for the Lucha match earlier in the program, came back on here to replace Dusty. Mm -hmm. Commentary thus improved by about a thousand percent. Um, One thing I noted during this match was 
fuck me for the size of the man he was, Ray Trailer couldn't move oh. uh, in 1998. Uh, when Ray Trailer hit the ropes, he hit the fucking ropes. I, I was just going to say, have you ever seen the gifts of Ray Trailer attacking the ropes? Like, I, oh. I don't, like, I, I think any wrestling coach or trainer, teacher, whatever you want to call them, will tell any student, watch the big boss man, watch Ray Trailer hit the ropes. That is the way you fucking run the ropes. My God, for a man his size, he moved. Yeah, um, I, oh, I, I, I love around. like the the slide out the out the bottom rope, and he yeah. he runs around the corner in one motion yeah. and lands that yeah. uppercut. Oh, he is just in top form. You wouldn't see the big breakfast hitting that, would you? <laughs> oh, God. The big breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> big Barry Banter himself isn't moving that quick. <laughs> You gotta uh, say. Um, what else have I got here? Um, so <laughs> Conan gets in mimes pissing. Cool. Yeah, the Conan and uh, Bagwell were taking the piss out of the whole dog face thing and doing fake yeah. barking and yeah, uh, that's kind of the highlight of Conan's night. So yeah, <laughs> Conan is really you. You are really. Disliking Conan on this run. If Conan's not cutting a promo, I just don't see the fucking point of him at the moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true enough. Um, so it's great because Tony and um, Brain are still kind of selling, being devastated by what Dusty did at the start of this, and they're trying to ham it up like the crowd is like inconsolable as well. And at one point, he said, uh, "Tony says something has been taken out of this crowd." And at that exact same moment, the crowd are going fucking crazy for Rick on the outside, grabbing the ref again. Oh, uh, Scott grabs me, yeah. Oh, Scott, yeah. sorry, yeah. So, because this is playing into the, the $5,000 fine thing yeah. we talked about in an earlier episode. Because God knows fans love people getting fined. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I did like the touch of Scott being so desperate to get into the match that he basically shoves trailer out of the way. And he stands oh, on the it's... same side as him, basically. Dude, it's so cool. Like, it, it's one of the... You've seen people do blind tags and stuff like that, but I think one of the coolest, like, stealing a tag things mm-hmm. I, I, I can recall seeing is that he... Yeah, he stands on the same side as Ray, and, and when um, Rick goes to swing for the tag, he just kind of shoulder barges trailer out of the way and steals the tag. It's a really cool little touch um, and, that, that plays into this. And Jesus, when he gets into the ring, the suplex on Scott Norton... Oh my word! What the fuck? Like he, Norton, I think like they mistimed it or whatever. But Jesus, Scott yeah. Steiner just powers him over and flings yeah. him like a sack of potatoes. Jesus Fucking Christ! Hell. Um. So what else have we got here? Uh, the match starts to break down on the outside. There's what I imagine was uh, when they laid out this match supposed to be a cool little referential moment of Ted DiBiase scruffing and decking Vincent on the outside and the camera and commentators pay almost no attention to it. Yeah, I think all they say is, oh, they're getting into it. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Just kind of as a real offhanded thing, even though the you could hear the crowd pop first because they obviously got what the mm-hmm. what was going on there. Um, Scott wins with what I thought on, on first reflection, on, when it happened, the angle the camera was at, was the gentlest screwdriver I've ever seen him hit. But then I watched the replay, and he essentially just lets go of him on the way down. Yeah, it's a weird one. He gets him up slowly. And I'm like, yeah. oh, maybe he's gone for the screwdriver. 
and he kind of yeah. he lets him fall and then when you see the, the replay it's like oh yeah he let him fall <laughs> yeah the first on first viewing it looks like oh he he held him up higher than he normally would so he was protecting him a bit more than he normally would uh in the screwdrivers i've seen in the past but then yeah you watch the replay and you're like oh no 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 <laughs> I'd almost feel bad for Conan if he wasn't really shit. <laughs> oh dear. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, he wins with the screwdriver and then Scott and Buff have another weird flex off. Which is great because uh, yeah. they're like right in each other's face like on the either side of the ropes and Rick Steiner just, just flexes him. Rick Steiner just walks over and goes, hit him! Yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, stuff. you can't argue with. Yeah. Flawless logic, as far as I'm concerned. And the uh, trailer is just like Scotty, Scotty, you're going to be a team player here. <laughs> uh, our next segment is the the long built Nash versus Giant match, which I think was uh, the apex of shenanigans matches tonight. Um, so this Giant dominates early. Uh, as you would expect because the the story going into this is that giant has just been biding his time to get on this man so he kind of he, he he hits nash with all he's got at the start then kind of nash gets on top nash attempts some sort of plancha or 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 springboard maneuver i don't know why well <laughs> to uh, the to the outside i, I think and, his thinking on this is the undertaker can do it so so can i yeah except he can't if, <laughs> If if it was anyone smaller or not as strong as the giant Paul White himself, he would have seriously fucked himself up on this dive. Oh yeah, he he launches himself. He takes about what three steps, yeah, as a run up and like drags yeah. himself over the top rope and makes it about uh, we won't exaggerate half a foot, yeah. and is gonna kill himself on the apron. Yeah, it reminded me of not quite as uh, close a call, but was it? Was it Seamus and Cesaro caught him when they were feuding? Or who was it that Cesaro caught like as they were about to go down oh, on the top of their head? I don't remember. But it reminded me very much of that, that like, were it not for the brute strength of the giant, this was almost certainly a man the size of Nash going down directly on his own skull. And we, we, well, we can't underplay that. Jesus, the strength to catch Nash. Yeah. I'll tell you what, if he didn't get, at the very least, some back pats or a bonus for saving a man's life live on pay-per-view, mm-hmm. he certainly deserved it. Well, he didn't get a fucking at the end of the match. We'll say that. yeah. <laughs> um, That's for sure. I have a question for you, though. Yeah, go on. Kevin Ash. Mm-hmm. Cool motherfucker, as we've gone over before. Indeed. Why does he have fringe on his tights? Uh, I don't I wonder if at some point he just thought he was like a bit of a cowboy or an outlaw or some shit like that. I like it's very rock and roll express type fringe, and I yeah. I don't get it. And it's it's a recurring motif in his gear for most of the rest of his career, I believe. Like did did Diesel have fringe on his and the WWF? I see that would have been mostly before my time of watching. And I can't um, I can't remember if he did or didn't. But it's just, I was watching this match and I was like, I've never noticed this. <laughs> mm. uh, yeah, it, it is a bit distracting. Um, but so there's Bischoff comes into the ring. Mm-hmm. He gets laid out with I think uh, Giants' best choke slam so far. Oh God! On the program. God, yeah, Jesus. 
he nearly threw Bischoff up into the stratosphere when he lifted him for that. And do you know? Um, do you know what? I love the turn on the choke slam that Giant would do. Oh yeah, he did, didn't really carry it over into WWF, but like where he'd lift him and spin into the choke slam. Really, yeah, really yeah. cool look. By the time he was doing, I believe they they tried to get the showstopper. The choke slam referred to as the showstopper in uh, in WWF for a while. I think yeah, he was just herking you up yeah. and dropping you straight down. Then, um, but yeah, a man who hit like an all timer of a choke slam. It's got to be said. Uh, at some point in here, uh, Hogan absolutely wellies Giant with a chair shot. Mm-hmm. Um, in all this kind of chaos, Nash materializes with a carafe of coffee not like a cup a full fucking thermos basically of coffee uh not only throws it at the big show not only kicks him in the dick <laughs> but then jackknifes him onto his neck oh god it, it's this was scary if you have never seen this powerbomb now, I have no doubt that Kevin Ash could powerbomb the Giant at the beginning of a match when he hasn't been wrestling for, what, five, ten minutes? Mm. And I have to say, I have to give Nash credit. He was bumping like crazy on this match for for whatever reason. Maybe he felt like he owed the Giant after Starcades. But yeah. he was bumping around like hell for the Giant, which you wouldn't normally see. No, this is a guy who is not known for putting in a shift. And, but Jesus, this power, like... I'm sure everyone has seen the Gonzo bomb from All Japan. Yeah. This was a Gonzo jackknife. Mm-hmm. And it was not intentional. And God, it was terrifying. The way Giant folded up reminded me of, was it was it Albert that got folded up on an F5 that time? Yes. God, yeah. That's the way his body went was very reminiscent mm-hmm. of that to me. It was, ooh, gave me shivers. Um, our next match... Yeah, our next match after that. So, yeah, Nash won with the jackknife. And then we move on to Flair versus Brett, which was a match that should have been this momentous pay-per-view main eventing sort of thing. But I think as we kind of covered in the build-up to this, was really half-baked. And I think they thought just by putting the names on the marquee that was kind of doing all the work for them, where I think there was a story to be told here. Um, and Brain, God bless him, throughout this match is try- is trying his goddamn best to make this seem like a kind of uh, generations colliding sort of event. What see what I don't get here is this is Bret Hart's in ring debut. Mm-hmm. Now bear in mind that the WWF audience and the WCW audience were not there wasn't as much of a heavy crossover as you would think. Yeah. So why? Didn't they establish Bret Hart with like a couple of squashes on Nitro or Thunder or whatever? Yeah, to really build them up, like I, I just... or even or even do the you know the the quote unquote pure sports build of having like montages of him training and putting talk faceless dudes in sharpshooters. Yeah, and, talk talking know. about his history or anything. Like all he's done, you know, all he's done in WCW is show up at Starcade. Yeah, fuck up the main event. Yeah, and for so- wear an outrageous pair of boots. Wear an absolutely outrageous outfit. Never mind the boots, just yeah. everything. <laughs> and yeah. Ric Flair has a problem with him. That's basically been Bret Hart's first month in WCW. Yeah, uh, absolutely 
characteristic of his whole run in just a, a hideous misuse of the man like i really think you could have sold this pay-per-view alone on maybe rick flair making the challenge to the new kid in town mm-hmm. claiming he's the best and then having like i said footage of brett training you know kind of like he did him and sean did for mania 12 or even like what would be really cool would be some sort of video of him sitting in the dungeon on a stool talking about you know basically being tortured into being good at wrestling <laughs> um i think would be you know it's certainly better than what they did uh but this match is put together like um it's definitely styled as a contest of the two greatest in ring guys of the, of uh, in the world mm. that's that's certainly the way they're trying to put it so there's a lot of holes going on and you know i enjoy that kind of wrestling as much as anybody else but i think in the context of this wacky car crash television period i i think it it stands out and not necessarily in the best of ways sometimes as much as i did enjoy it at points yeah it didn't quite fit on this show like mm. like maybe on another show it would have kind of fit better as a main event but i yeah. i did think that the commentators were really trying to get this over um yeah. Like Tanay would mention that Bret Hart would use the figure four a lot in the. He, I think he mentioned it in his past or something like this, but he said that, mm. that Bret would predominantly use the figure four, except he would incorporate the ring post, which, if you've ever seen 1997 WWF, you will know that that was a major staple of his offense. Um, yeah. I thought Brain, like you said, kind of really tried to put this over as two of the best ever colliding for the first time and. Yeah, I mean the match was it was fine. Um, I didn't enjoy that Rick seemed to be working heel for for no reason really. Mm, um, except that he's just Ric Flair. Yeah, it's weird. Like he's not a heel at but, this time. Yeah, I guess the whole idea is you know, Bret Hart is coming in off the the back of everything that happened, and you can't have much as I enjoyed. Um, Bret's fabulous heel run towards the end of mm. his, his run in the Fed. You can't really have him come in after everything as a heel. And Flair is the... If you could have him as a heel, you would definitely want Flair as the guy kind of defending WCW Pride as the babyface. So I, I guess they just didn't want a babyface versus babyface match. And they go, well, Ric Flair is just a fabulous bastard <laughs> when he wants to be. So let's give that a go. Yeah, maybe. Um I did. I was kind of surprised to see like Flair hits a low blow, and then the crowd starts chanting "Let's go, Brett," which I was kind of yeah. very surprised. Mm. Um. Yeah, I got like testament to the men in question, I guess. Um. Yeah, this match goes on. It's nearly double the length of uh, pretty much any other match on the show. Mm. Uh, and while there was, as I said, well, there was nothing wrong with it, and it was pretty good. Uh, I just think it kind of sticks out like a sore thumb uh, on the show towards the end of the match um, in, in the build up to the finish Brett hits a superplex on Rick and for a second as he tries to herk him over he nearly lost him and that gave me a little bit of a fright yeah uh, it was a, just a, it was a split second but you can see that they're kind of struggling just for a moment mm. um, I, I did like the whole setup. He, he went through his kind of four or five moves of doom and set it all up for the finish yeah and it was uh, mm. to be fair it was a clean finish and yeah like Brett it's what it should have been Brett is the new guy in town so you kind of he is put over fairly strong yeah 
so can't really argue with that one yeah and Brett even though I think like his facial expressions afterwards you would have expected a bit more kind of yeah I did it a beat flare uh, he kind of is like yeah but uh, it, during the match he was kind of doing a great job seeming like he was into it and mm-hmm. uh, at one point in particular they do a long kind of uh, figure four spot where Brett is selling the shit out of it with the best of them I think uh, but yeah sharpshooter and, and a vi- clean victory here for Brett putting over both Brett and, and the sharpshooter in his first match at WCW mm-hmm. and I'm sure he's onward and upward to better things after this right no <laughs> <laughs> we'll see we'll see yeah um, but it, yeah, it was just kind of like it, it was just the the contrast here. I think that that stood out to me of the kind of it's almost like you know when you're trick or treatingly. Here go here here's here's one of my metaphors. It's almost like if you're trick or treating and you're going down a big row of houses and you're getting candy and candy and candy and candy and then this is the one where you get an apple. You know where it's like. Look, I don't hate apples, but that's not what I've been here for so far. Is, you know what I mean? Is it a toffee-covered apple? <sighs> sure, why not? <laughs> yeah, because it's still good. You know, it's got that toffee on it. It's still pretty good. It's just, I've bought in for the candy at this point in 98. And I'm sure m- me in 1998 wasn't kind of... You weren't looking for lads to be exchanging holds and trying to prove who's yeah. the best. Yeah, not that I'm not that I've ever been against that. Um, it's just, as I said, it's just a weird contrast. That's for sure. It, um, yeah, you're inside. I was just going to say it. It is. It's like a, a territory match on a on a modern pay per view. So it did mm. feel slightly out of place. Yeah, and it'd be cool if it was like the kind of promotion where and in some ways I can see they're trying this where it's every match has a different flavor to it because mm. certainly the TV has like here's your lucha match here's your Japanese guys you know here's your main event style match here's your cruiser style match um but this pay-per-view to this point has been essentially with the exception of the the opener it has been pretty much one style of match the whole time which I think makes it even more jarring mm. but anyway um, main event time and Michael Buffer is here earning uh, a lot of money for doing sweet fuck all which is pretty much Michael Buffer's career <laughs> yeah I have written down it's basically a waste of money having Buffer here like it would have yeah. had much more impact if he only came in what twice a year say for the two big shows for, yeah yeah Starcade, Bash at the Beach or Halloween yeah, Havoc something or something like like, you don't need him for anything more than that really um, Randy Savage with Liz and once again an excessive amount of pyro <laughs> uh, versus our man Lex Luger um, and I must say one thing I noticed uh, when the, the lads were coming to the ring here is whoever wrote whatever was on Buffer's intro cards needs to be fucking fired into the sun because it was dreadful excuse me I quite enjoyed Lex's intro this is the one thing I will say. The one exception to that is, I have wondered low these many years, Lee, what is it that makes the total package? Well, Dave, I will have you know. <laughs> it is his speed and his power alongside his dedication to physical fitness that makes him the total package. There we go. Many, many years. Decades, in fact, hang on, hang on. I have pondered the formula. Where, where's my 250000 for making that announcement? Indeed, yeah, yeah. You add a bit of Chemical X to that, and that's your that's your Lex Luger recipe. Chemical X. Um, <laughs> um, 
there was <laughs> very distracting i can't believe it took me almost the whole show to notice this but during the main event it was very distracting there was two guys on the hard camera just to the right hand side one who was dressed uh, like horrifically as hollywood hogan and one who beside him had a a sign that i believe read mcdonald's employee of the month for reasons that are beyond my understanding i can't believe it took you until the main event to see those guys (laughs) i I noticed them very early in the show and they were very very distracting i i think i do as i said before i do a lot of crowd scanning during these things and i think sometimes i just forget to look at the front row i'm looking back like during the flair brett match i forgot to mention i noticed a kid wearing a groucho Marx disguise what yeah there's a kid wearing like the full glasses nose and mustache groucho marks oh, thing God. just hard cam to the back left if anyone watches that match just keep an eye out the, the camera pans away at some point in the show and i can't remember where it is i have it written down somewhere but i can't remember what match or what segment it is and it pans to the most terrifying cosplay of sting i have ever seen oh, yeah the, yeah like fat bloated sting yeah and it's just a plain white face and he's smiling and it's absolutely fucking horrifying do you know what it actually i i had this written down as well um and this is uh in tna when aj styles cut a promo on stink <laughs> this is stink yeah that that's pretty that's yeah. pretty accurate um yeah stink you're wrong <laughs> Love AJ. Oh god, uh, that'll get um, that'll get you in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, here's the thing. Why was this the main event, Lee? I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe it was for the Sting run in at the end. They thought he couldn't run in at the end of the Giant match for some reason. This was a good four minutes deep, and I I just went, why the fuck? Like, they've built this Nash versus Giant match for God knows how long. They built Flair versus Brett for God knows how long. I think it would have even been less weird to have that non-decision on the WCW title in the main event compared to this, much as we love our boy Lex. Yeah, it it, it was really weird. Like, I, was, I didn't actually look in advance to see what match was in what position. So when Flair and Brett came out for the semi-main, I was like, mm. oh, oh, okay obviously something yeah. something good happens in Lex and Randy and there's a, someone had an early flight home or something there, there's a, a big finish maybe uh, there, there's not <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so they have they have, a, they have a crowd brawl at one point yeah so I have two notes when it starts spilling to the outside so um, there's one point where Liz slaps Luger mm-hmm. and it was, she proper laid it in by the way Um and this caused Brain to do an impression of Liz that cracked me the fuck up. Yeah, I love that. Um, so yeah, they had a bit of crowd brawling and they got to kind of the, the concourse where everybody would walk down into mm-hmm. the lobby and everybody was kind of scattering out of the way except one elderly woman. Who remained <laughs> just, in her seat, yeah. She sat stock still in her chair and I noticed at one point now I don't want to cast aspersions on the woman but I think she may have been if you if you get my meaning having a look at the total package <laughs> maybe she was and who could maybe who, she was who could blame it's her it's a free country yeah. she bought she bought her ticket she can look at what she wants <laughs> I have written down that uh, ECW this is not during the crowd brawl no certainly not this, this was not New Jack and uh, Bubba Ray Dudley in the crowd this 
they basically, like you say, kind of lightly brawled out to the concourse and very quickly yeah, went back so they wouldn't be surrounded by other people that aren't, you know, wrestlers. <laughs> yeah, they went they went for a stroll. Um also fair play to just at the start of this crowd rolling, fair play to Randy Savage, whatever age he was at the time, definitely in the autumn years of his career, uh doing the double axe handle to the outside and taking it pretty much on his knees. Yeah. I don't think he ever stops doing that though. No, fair play to him. I would not I would not do that now. Um let alone after how many years of bumps on the clock for him. Very very quickly, Scott Hall and Hogan come out. Oh, so much happens at the very end of this show. Yeah, so basically Hall comes out and Hogan kind of trails very slowly behind him. And as- Hall's wearing a cool t-shirt, by the way. Yeah, what was it? I didn't quite catch it. There was like a lot of kanji writing on it. Was, um, was, must, was it like, a black cat t-shirt or a cool cat t-shirt or something like this? I don't know. It was a cool looking t-shirt, whatever it was um, anyway. But basically Hall slowly makes his way to the apron with the chair and Hogan mm. drags him down, I think. Yeah. And then Luger racks Savage for the win. Yeah. Which isn't going to get into my top racks. The the ranking of racks. Yeah, it's not, it's not going to make it in. Uh, so we get the NWO run out and we get the typical beatdown. Sting comes out for the save. But we do get a rack on Kevin Nash and this one is making it into the ranking. He, That's two Nash racks in the ranking. He, he hauls him up and Nash sells it like fucking crazy. It's the, the ease that he gets a man of that those dimensions the, up is breathtaking. That's what it is. It's just... it's phenomenal the way he gets him up so quickly and just with, yeah. like you say with ease um, mm. Sting locks on the Scorpion on Hogan and that's kind of the end of the show yeah cool moment of Luger having Nash in the torture rack and then Sting laying in the, the death lock um, and t- just as it's about to go off the air Tony yelling oh yeah that made us feel good <laughs> I didn't catch that one Ah. Uh, Good stuff. Um, overall thoughts on the show. Uh, how do you think it was? Thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle. I'd give this one a thumbs up. Yeah, I think I would the, too. The, the main event was kind of shit, but mm. apart from that and the NWO six man tag, I thought everything else was fairly easy to watch. This yeah, this flew by at a clip. I I actually quite enjoyed it. I, again, it's another case of if I think forward and knowing where things go and some of the booking decisions that take place, the longer I think about that, the more I'm like, I think in the long term, not so great. But I think as a show where we only have the context of three weeks of thunder, mm-hmm. I quite enjoyed it. Um, sad not to see my boy, Billy big time on the pay-per-view Goldberg sat it out on this one. But uh, yeah, other than that, quite happy with, most of it, I'd agree with all your thoughts there. Um, who is your big winner and your big loser? Uh, big winner. I'll have two. Okay. I think Bret Hart getting the clean win mm-hmm. over Fleur. He's the big winner. Yeah. And La Parca. <laughs> yeah. I would absolutely, I would absolutely go on with La Parca. Um, who else would I add to this? I, I'd probably add Chris Jericho to that. Um, yeah really good heel performance 
really well worked match with Ray and a, a fabulous promo thereafter, establishing him as your your new big bad in the in the cruiserweight division. I, I think there's going to be a lot more to come from Jericho, especially for us on Thunder. So mm. I, I'd go with Laparca and Hart on this one, but I wouldn't argue okay. with, with having Chris thrown in there as a, a third place. Um, biggest loser, Conan. <laughs> <laughs> You took the words out of my mouth. Uh, <laughs> great stuff. Uh, I, I also want to add Tony Schiavone. Be- As your loser? Yeah. Because... Not a great night for Big Town? Well, not that. It's also the dusty stuff. I get that he was selling the shock and all this. But I, th- yeah. I thought he sold it a bit too heavily. Yeah, because there was a couple of times where he goes, right, I'm going to get back to the match. But then he just starts talking about it again. Um yeah, and it's it's just like it's been eighteen months of the NWO, so why yeah. are you surprised anymore? Mm, fair. Um, right, yeah, that's that's gonna bring this episode of Days of Thunder to the end. That was Snickers sold out ninety eight. I should probably say the other big winner, this the Mars Candy Corporation <laughs> and their excellent product, Snickers, um, which is available at all your local candy shops. Um. We'll be back in two weeks, back on Thunder Road, uh, starting the the build-up to Super Brawl. Uh, I look forward to it, my friend. Um, In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, at WCWThunderPod on Twitter is the handle where you can talk about the upcoming shows, the the shows you've already watched or listened to here. Uh, Throw in stuff, we, we will... We will chat uh, feedback at the top of our, our regularly scheduled Thunder shows. Can't really fit any in on these pay-per-view shows. They go a bit longer, as you will have noticed. Um, but yeah, interact with us on there. Individually, I'm at the day to Dave. And Lee is at Malone underscore 713. Did I get that right you this got time? It right. Ba-boom. Getting better at this hosting gig, let me tell you. Um... Yeah, in the meantime, subscribe to us, rate, review. We're available on pretty much any podcast platform you can shake a stick at. Um, iTunes, Podcast Addict, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, Spotify. We're, we're on all the all your faves. Uh, so yeah, subscribe on there, rate, review, tell a friend. Uh, we'd really appreciate it. Uh, tell a wrestler. We, yeah, t- <laughs> tell a wrestler. <laughs> tell Jordan Devlin how much like Larry Zabisco he is. Adam, see what he says. Yeah. <laughs> Ask David Arquette will he come on the show in about three or four years when we get to when we get to that if he survives. Did you see the match he has on WrestleMania weekend? Uh, let me think. Uh, there's been so many match announcements for WrestleMania weekend. Uh, who has he got? So David Arquette on I think the Friday or Saturday night is has been announced for Joey Ryan's Ryan's penis party, okay. and he's wrestling Timothy Thatcher. What? No. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and you know what? I, I'm I, there for I it. Actually, <laughs> I actually might get the show. That, I'm, I have to. I have to see that. <laughs> I can't not see that. <laughs> I know, right? And you know what's great? I'm off. What? I'm off the week after WrestleMania weekend. Oh, dude, I'm probably going to book the, the Friday where it's like the biggest concentration of shows, like spring break and a few other things are on. I'm probably going to take the Friday off. Yeah, if I, if um, I can get off early that Friday, it'd be... I, I would be very tempted to do like a special mini Days of Thunder review of Thatcher versus Arquette. <laughs> special episode. I think we'll have to do 
Yeah, especially if we can't do the Boston Brawl. We're still looking for that footage, so so please help us out there if anybody knows. But anyway, I've been wrapping up the show for about 10 minutes now. Uh, so yeah, for myself and Lee, for Days of Thunder, we shall see you all in two weeks with Thunder Episode 4. It's breaking in your heart I can see through the scars inside you I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart I can see through the scars inside you